Welcome to The Dispatches. I'm Paul Rykoff. These are quick-hit conversations with important frontline fighters in our global war against the coronavirus. Last time, I brought you Chris Fussell, who gave you a strategic update on what's happening in the fight. Now, we're going to talk to one of the most iconic guests we've ever had on Angry Americans. Legendary chef and top chef host Tom Colicchio joined us back in episode eight of Angry Americans. If you haven't heard that, go check it out. But he's been at the intersection of food and politics for many, many years. Now, restaurants are being devastated nationwide and globally, and Tom Colicchio is stepping up to lead the fight. He started a new organization, he's lobbying Congress, he's out in the media, and he's feeding people. He's a perfect person to talk to about how the coronavirus will impact your community, no matter where you live, whether it's in Manhattan or Kansas or Oregon, everywhere you are, you are going to have a local restaurant impacted by the coronavirus. So I got a quick hit conversation with Tom Colicchio to break down what's happening in the restaurant industry and how you can help. Here's my conversation with the great Tom Colicchio. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as a part of our ongoing series of the dispatches, I want to bring you uh, engaging, important, inspiring leaders from the front lines of our fight on the coronavirus. And I'm very happy joining us right now. Our guest from episode eight on Angry Americans, almost a year ago right now, uh, you joined us, the great and powerful Tom Colicchio. How are you, my friend? Good, Paul. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm so eager to talk to you because as soon as this whole thing hit and I saw what was happening to the restaurant industry, I thought of you and you were already you know, taking action, doing what you do. You're a powerful uh, activist. You're a great patriot. You're an entrepreneur. But maybe you could, first of all, tell us where you are and what it's like where you are uh, for you and, and the people around you. Uh, that, that's my first question. Maybe you can give us a sense of what it's like where you are. Yeah. So I, I live in Brooklyn and we stayed there for the first couple of weeks, but, uh, we have a, we have a, a small little farmhouse out in Mattituck, Long Island. So it's, uh, on the North Fork of Long Island, a small little town. So it's pretty quiet out here. I came out here because, you know, I got a garden that I can at least tinker around in to, to take my mind off this. And it just gives the kids a little bit, uh, you know, be able to get outside and run around. You know, Brooklyn was, Brooklyn was tough. The hardest thing about Brooklyn was it was so quiet. And yet all night long, you heard ambulance mm. one after another. But they think the interesting thing, the ambulance weren't driving quickly or fast. It was a right. slow move and it was just eerie as hell. And, you know, it is tough. I, 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 I got out to some of the stores there and, and um, but uh, it just for we just we just decided to, to camp out to here. And so uh, uh, it's pretty quiet out here right now. It's probably important to give you that dual perspective, too, because you're a guy that's always been locally sourcing stuff and you've been focused on the entire supply chain of the restaurant industry. And then you've got restaurants in Manhattan. Right. So the whole spectrum. But from where you sit, man, you've been doing a lot of media. You've been a really important leader, I think, in this national conversation. But can you frame up for us how big is this challenge in your view? You know, how long will it last and how deep is it going to cut? Well, I think um, number one, it, it's 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 dire right now out there. I think most restaurants. I mean, I, I put it at seventy five percent before I thought we were going to get some kind of help. I still put it at like close to fifty percent of restaurants that will not will not reopen. And I base that on the fact that you know restaurants we don't keep a lot of cash on hand, and you know at at, at best we we can hang in there for about fifteen days before before we run out of money. And so, like most restaurants, I had to lay off about four hundred and seventy people. The good news was that some of the work that I had started doing before things got really bad out there, I talked to a lot of the hunger advocates who were already mobilizing. And we already had the sort of idea of what the Family First Act, which was the first stimulus bill or uh, COVID bill to come out of, out of, uh, out of, out of uh, our government. 
And so I knew that unemployment was going to get, uh, you know, sort of plussed up. And so uh, we recommend that everybody just go on unemployment. Um, right now, New York is fairly generous. It's, a, it's over $1,000 a week. I think the max in New York is like $525 and you add the $600 supplemental from the government on top of that. It's not bad. And so, but we closed all our restaurants. We sort of gave all our food out to our employees and, uh, and just tried to sort of figure out what our next move was. And I received a phone call from a friend um, who was an agent and he said, listen, we have a foundation and we can help out. And I said, your foundation is not going to help this problem. Uh, it's way, way, way bigger than the foundation. And then I got another phone call from a friend who, when I was at Food Policy Action, who I did a lot of lobbying with. And kind of half joking, I said, the restaurant industry needs lobbyists. And he said, well, you know, what do you need? And so I called my friend back and said, listen, if you can you know, get some money together, I think we can hire some people. And, and uh, that's what we did. In a matter of two days, we had some funding. We hired, we hired a, a, a group uh, out of D.C. We hired a comms team out of D.C. And at that same time, we found other uh, groups. We found a group of 100 chefs and restaurateurs in the South um, that were sort of forming. Found another group in Chicago, another group out in Seattle, Portland area. Uh, found a bunch of people in L.A. And we kind of took the leaders from each of those constituencies, brought them all together, formed the Independent Restaurant Coalition, and got to work. And uh, so, you know, we are doing the hard work. We're trying to make sure Congress understands our needs. But also, it, it is... Um, an area for sourcing. So if, uh, you know, restaurants are trying to figure out and navigate PPP, uh, we can act as a resource to help as well. Um, right. But things aren't looking good right now. I mean, even with PPP, it's not, it doesn't work for restaurants. Yeah. Um, can, we talk, can we go deeper on that, Tom? Because I, I was yeah. struck by the percentage that you're saying, call it 50%. So 50% of, of every restaurant that people are listening to or watching this show, 50% of the restaurants they love, they frequent, they care about, they do birthdays and, yeah. and right. They're going to be gone. And I, and, and maybe that's even conservative. The PPE gets pushed through. And I, I was happy to see that there was some focus on restaurants. I mean, airlines have gotten bailouts, banks have gotten bailouts and, and, and your work and others help create some sort of a, of a first stage of, of a, of a buy of a, well, not, 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 not for restaurants specifically. Right. The PPP that came out of the CARES Act is for small businesses, all right, small right. businesses. Now, if you are a small business that maybe you've seen your revenues drop by 50%, but you're still operating and you're out there functioning, PPP works for you because all it does is, let's say you had to lay off some of your employees. You have to bring them back right? and they'll pay your payroll for two, for two months. If you can get it, right? Because like I, I put in for it. I'm a New York City business, better no business. We haven't gotten it yet. We got told they're out of money. Right. And we're not say, even, you know. right. Right. Let's just say you got it. Let's say you yeah. can get it. Let's just yeah. focus on that for a second. Yeah. So if I were, if I were open, it would, it would supplement my, my, my payroll, it would pay my payroll for this, for the two months. It would pay rent for the two months and utilities for the two months. That's great. Could my cost, my cost at that point is just, uh, you know, my, my cost of goods that I'm selling, I'm selling. If you're not open and you're not going to be open for the next two months, which I don't expect I will be open for the next two months. What does it do for me? I hire my, my employees back and two months later, they're back in unemployment. Right. And all that money just goes right out the door. It doesn't help me get open. Now, the employees aren't going to come back either because they're not dumb. They're looking at this going, well, you're going to hire me back for two months. I'm on unemployment now. That's going to last more than two months. I don't want to go back off unemployment, go back to work for maybe less money than I'm getting unemployment. Two months later, I got to reapply and maybe not get it. I'm gonna, they're not going to do that. And so if I don't hire but all, all of my employees back, this loan that I got from the Small Business Administration 
is a loan. It's not going to be forgiven. And so I'm not going to hit those milestones that I need to actually have this loan forgiven. So all I'm doing is adding debt to my books right now, which really doesn't help me. Right. So let's just say the, the sort of thing to do is to change that date of origin. Because the date of origin now is the date that you actually get your loan. If they change that date of origin and they move it out to when we actually can open, and then we get four months of, of payroll protection, then they may have a shot. Because the other problem I have is when, I'm, when I open up, I'm not going to be busy. There is no way that people are going to come out on mass. In fact, the big question isn't when I'm opening my doors. The better question is, when does the general public feel comfortable to go out in spaces that are, that are busy and crowded, bars and restaurants? And, on, and you're, 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 you're an analyst of politics and the media and the narrative. Yeah. I mean, and you're a planner, right? You're a strategic planner. When are you realistically planning for that to be the case? The president, you know, wanted to open up by Easter and he keeps trying to create these false deadlines. But realistically, and especially in New York City, when do you think you can, normal is is not a thing I think we can ever shoot for again, but maybe sustainable or active restaurant life in New York. Well, here's the problem. So summertime in restaurants in New York, really slow. Um, We're not going to have tourists coming in. Because our regular New York crowd that we have during the rest of the year, they're either, you know, out in the Hamptons or wherever they are. Tourists usually come in in the summer. Tourists aren't going to come travel right now. So we're looking at a pretty slow New York. And so for me, I think September Mm. when people start coming back. But really, we're not going to be busy until we get a vaccine. That's that's when we're going to get busy. You know, I see a world very soon where if you had the virus and you have antibodies and, you, and it's proven scientifically that once you had it, you're not going to get it again. I, I see people getting a card or some kind of ID that will say that you can now actually come in, in a crowded space. You're not going to be actually spreading the virus. You're not going to get the virus. So I see it. I see that happening at some point, but you know, there's talk. And if you remember before restaurants were closed, we had to reduce our volume by 50%. I had to take half my, my, my chairs. I can't run a restaurant at 50%. It's just not going to work. Yeah. So what, so play this all the way out, right? And now, and hopefully there will be a bailout specifically for restaurants, right? right. I mean, that's, that's what I think we need to see what you and many would argue we need to see. We need to get restaurants open before we need to get the NFL open, right? I mean, for economic reasons, for cultural reasons, yeah. uh, for all the, for health reasons, right? We got to feed people, all the other reasons. But when you, when you look at the new normal, what happens to 50% of the office, these office spaces or retail spaces in a place like New York? Do they sell them off? Do they become abandoned spaces? Do they refashion them for something else? Does well, the government come in and take them over and start feeding doctors? What, what do you think happens in that new world? You, you hit a, a couple things there that are interesting. If you look at the real estate piece for a second, if you think about all the ground floor spaces that are, you know, you go Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue and even the side streets, most of them are small businesses. A lot of them are restaurants. Right. So if they close, typically what would happen is a landlord would take possession of all your, your fixtures and they would get somebody else to come in and operate it. And they would actually make some money off those fixtures because they would, they would sell them to you. And, and you'd go in there and operate. And there's a ton of chefs out there who were expanding, who would look at that deal and go, okay, that's a good deal. I'll go in there. That's not going to happen now. So we're going to look at a lot of empty spaces. When you have empty spaces, that actually it, it changes neighborhoods in a big yeah. way. And you're going to have landlords that are going to have to somehow sort of deal with that downturn as well. And so that's, that's one issue. Now, you hit on something that's interesting because right now is a huge need in terms of feeding people. And 
what I find interesting now, and I've talked about this before, where if you look at things like food stamps or, or the SNAP program, you know, I would give I would give talks and tell people that you should you should want to make sure this is a robust program because we're all one climate disaster away from needing it. So if you look at Sandy, what happened? So many of those communities around the Jersey Shore and parts of Brooklyn, they didn't come back for three or four months. Right. And so those people who were living a solidly middle class life all of a sudden found themselves on, on food stamps. Right. No, same thing's happening. And so what can we do? Well, if the government actually would backstop it, each restaurant could turn into a community feeding center. So, for instance, the plan that I would love to have seen would have been for the restaurant to actually for, rest, for, for the government to pay 75 percent of my lost revenue. Right. If they had done that, I could have simply brought in some of my staff. Right. I could have fed. 200 people a day for free. Right. And so uh, this is kind of Jose Andreas's plan. Is right. That, and, and right now he's funding it through charity. He's funding it through some wealthy individuals and, and, and a lot of donations and things like that. But what if the government actually came to us as restaurateurs and said, we will pay you, you know, X amount per meal. You put up 200 meals, you feed your community. Or you feed a hospital. Or you feed, you know, a, a, some sort of community center. So we could do that. And this way, the great thing about that is, the restaurants stay open. It also keeps our supply chain intact. Right. It's really important because when we say the restaurant industry, independent restaurant industry, we, we employ 11 million people. That's directly, indirectly, the farmers, the fishermen, the cheesemakers, the winemakers, all of those people that we employ, you're probably close to 20 million people. And so uh, there's a lot of different things that, that we can do to make this work for the employee which again, independent restaurants, that's one thing we do care about. We care about our employees. We want to make sure that they have a job to come back to. Um, we want to make sure that they're getting taken care of now. And so, and so there's, a, there's a lot of different fixes here. I think the big problem with, with PPP and the CARE Act is it happened so quickly because the government wanted to do something. They wanted to get right. something out the door. And I, I don't think it was thought through as, as carefully as it could have been. Can I, can I ask you this today? That, that, uh, we're recording this on Monday. There's big news. Uh, Danny Myers returned $10 million uh, that they had gotten from the government. He's the, the you know, the, the well-known uh, guy behind Shake Shack. Uh, he wrote a pretty good piece that's getting around. But I wonder, you know, Shake Shack's great. Danny Myers and, and you guys are, are, are on one level. What happens to Burger King? Like, you've been great at about noting food deserts, right? Places where people don't have a Tom Colicchio or a Danny Myers restaurant, and they're living on, you know, fast food or other, frankly, shittier food. What do you think is going to happen to those industries? But see, those industries are, my understanding, and I have a good friend of mine who, who uh, does some consulting work for, for McDonald's. Yeah. Um, if you have a drive through you're busy right now. Right. Those places are busy. People still need to eat. And those are low-cost options. And so the Burger Kings of the world, McDonald's of the world, again, in, in urban areas like Manhattan, where you don't have a drive through maybe not so much, but... You're out there in the suburbs, you have a drive through you're doing just fine. I think the bigger problem, and I'm happy that Dandy gave the money back, but really what it does is it exposes the problem with PPP. How do you quantify a small business as one that is actually publicly traded? Right. That's a publicly traded company. Right, right. And so for me, publicly traded company should have been excluded from here. Ruth Chris is a publicly traded company. Right. And so that, by definition, is not a small business. They can go to the public markets to raise capital. They have credit lines that they can raise money on. They didn't need this. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like a back door. I was listening to him explain it. And he basically says, I have this many employees, but each of my locations individually qualifies as a small business, right? So he could argue that one place that has 25 employees is a small business, but Shake Shack isn't. 
right? But again, that's something that the Independent Restaurant Coalition actually lobbied for. And the reason being is because a lot of, of people that we have, I, I fall just short of 500 employees. Originally, the way the plan was written, if you have more than 500 employees, you didn't qualify. I think if you did more than $500 million in business, you'd been qualified. And so a lot of independent restaurant groups that aren't publicly traded, they may have, you know, 2000 employees, but it's spread over 20 restaurants. So we thought you should look at each individual restaurant. Again, it wasn't thought out that it was going to leave the doors open for a lot of larger companies to do the same thing. Again, I think they should have looked at this and said publicly traded companies are not small businesses. Mm -hmm. And this piece was meant for small business. There was another pile of money that, you know, the $500 billion dollars, um, for larger businesses that they should have tapped into. Um, so that was the other part of, of the CARES Act. And so the small business piece should have been for small business. So, you know, you've been great about talking at the policy level, but also at the personal level. Um, I want to ask you, I, I talked about the new organization you created. So can, can you give folks who want to help, right? They're sitting on their couch, you know, they love their local restaurant uh, or they love, you know, a national chain, whatever it is. But if they want to attack this issue, you guys have put together a really I think st strong, smart, dynamic organization in a quick time. Can you talk about it and give people a way to help? Yeah, well, the thing is for us, because we are lobbying, we're a C4. And so you can give to a C4, you can give to the Independent Restaurant Coalition, um, but um, it's not tax deductible because uh, it's a C4. We don't have to disclose our donors because, we're again, we're doing political work. But there's also a C3, uh, the James Beard Foundation set up a C3 uh, that will benefit workers. You can actually uh, give money there. Um, you can also look at your local restaurants, and a lot of them have set up GoFundMe pages. If they haven't, if you want to set one up, you can do that too. Some restaurants are selling gift certificates and things like that. Uh, we, we did. Um, we, uh, I think we're still selling gift certificates where 50% of the proceeds will go directly to the staff. And uh, we're actually reaching out to staff that for whatever reason can't get unemployment, uh, whether through they don't have proper documentation or they um, just having a hard time getting through is, is difficult right now. I mean, places like Florida, uh, I read this uh, over the weekend, they've only processed 4% of their unemployment um, applications yeah. because the system is set up yeah. to yeah. fail. It's yeah. set up to make it difficult so you can't get unemployment. Hmm. And, and the so, web website, saverestaurants.com, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. saverestaurants.com. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. I, I thought you guys put together a really good action plan. And, and yeah. I want to actually give you some, 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 some support here because C4 money is harder to raise, but it's much more impactful. Absolutely. You can push for legislation. And here's what I think you touch on, Tom, that I've been trying to elevate. Let's use the veteran space that I know well, you know pretty well as, as an example. There's a charity out there like the Wounded Warrior Project that's doing $10 million. That's great. The VA just got $20 billion right. in the supplementals. So the scale of what government can do is so much greater, so much higher, so much bigger. And that can only happen with lobbying, with advocacy. You can call it either way, lobbying, advocacy, activism. Right. That's what's really important. If Tom Colicchio isn't loud, then another airline is going to get the bailout and your restaurants aren't. Right. And Paul, I mean, what you're touching on here is so important, yes. you know, and, and this is what I hope comes out of this, you know, working together, put, bringing coalitions together, understanding now that government's not bad. There's a role for government. There's a big role for government. OK, I mean, you know, most conservatives they'll believe that government's really only role should be to, for, for defense. Right. Well, how about if we look at COVID, we look at, at things like this as defense. Right. Because look what's happened. This is an attack on this country through a virus that we probably could have controlled a little better than we are right now, but we didn't put the resources at it, okay? And so this is what government does. 
And so also the solution to right, the, the situation that we're in right now is also the only entity that can actually help right now is government. And yeah. so, you know, for the years and years and years, all we hear about is big government, bad, 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 big government. Well, we don't want big government. We want smart government. We want government that's going to be responsive to its constituencies. We want, we want structures set up where, again, if unemployment was run by the federal government as opposed to push it out to the states, well, the states are getting crushed because the states have to spend the money to administer even though the money's not coming from them, it's coming from your paycheck, really, they have to match it, but also the administration, they have to put a lot of money into it. They're getting crushed and they have to balance their budget where the federal government doesn't. Right. So, and so unemployment now, so you're starting to see how these, these, these structures that are set up are failing the way they're set up. And hopefully what, what COVID is doing is it's exposing just how frail um, the idea of pushing you know, these, these, these things that the federal government should actually run off right. the private sector. Right. You know, right now the private sector is going to have to bail stuff out. And you realize the private sector doesn't have the pockets, the deep enough pockets to, to do this, to bail our country out right now. And so, you know, I hope after this, we're going to look, take a look at government and say, how could government be smarter? How can government be more responsive? And then also look at the response to COVID. I mean, the point, we, we were losing 2,000 people a day. Now, you're a military guy. If over in Afghanistan or Iraq, we were losing 2,000 people a day, someone would lose their job really fast over that. Yep. That's not a plan. And so, you know, we're seeing government that it's just not, I'm not interested in pointing fingers right now, but what we're seeing is that we, are just, we didn't have a government that was robust enough to respond to this. We see various um, parts of our government, just people, people aren't getting appointed where they need to get appointed to. We see funding getting stripped down. And so this is, this is what we end up with. And so, you know, really hoping that we come out of this, you know, right now, it's the perfect illustration. And healthcare, most people get their healthcare through their jobs. When 22 million people lose their jobs, they lose their healthcare. If this isn't a, 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 a perfect example of why we need national healthcare, um, I don't know what is. Right, right. Or if they can't get their health care locally, they overflow into the largest nationalized health care system in America, which is the VA. Right? Yes. The VA has now got to be that backstop and, yep. and, and take that overflow, ideally, if it's well-coordinated. But, Tom, I think the point you make is a good one. I think we're a nation at war. And if you look at the need to mobilize, the government's primary responsibility is to keep its people safe, whether it's from ISIS or from COVID-19. And if we had lost, you know, we lost 10,000 people in New York already, three times what we lost to, uh, to, sure. to bin Laden, right? We lost right. 57 people now, I think, in Holyoke in one soldier's home. We yep. don't lose 57 people to a roadside bomb ever in Afghanistan. That's like a cargo plane going down for right. people. So I think, I think that's right. And we need the government to be able to marshal the resources. The private sector isn't going to be able to build ventilators quickly any more than they were able to build battleships during World War II. So we've oh. got to really take a whole of government approach and I think the leadership and focus. But you're you're a frontline guy, man, but you're also adding a lot of inspiration to people. So I can't have you on the show again without asking you, you know, last time you came on, you told us what you feed your dog, which, which was so fascinating for people. They're like, man, what does Tom Colicchio feed his dog? Everybody wants to be Tom Colicchio's dog. Yeah. So in the pandemic, you've been, you've been tweeting some stuff, but uh, any really good recommendations or insights you want to make for people who are cooking during the pandemic? Well, I'll get there in a second. You, you, you hit on a sore, a sore point. We, we lost our dog this past uh, November. Um, our dog Piper was just uh, an absolute family member and we were crushed. Um, but, um, uh, first week in May, we have a puppy coming. So, um, 
So yeah, so that's 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 pretty good. My, my kids every morning, I wake up and I say, "What's today, guys?" And their response is, "One day closer to getting a puppy." <laughs> this uh, is going to put pressure on me at home, man. I know it. I know it. It's good. It's good. You know, the great the great thing about this right now is that um, uh, rescue dogs. I mean, people are, are just bringing animals in. They're fostering them. Um, they're they're adopting them. It's it's been great. In terms of, of, of food, my wife just last night said, aren't we lucky to have daddy who's a chef because we're eating good food? And um, I'm, I've been cooking up a storm. Um, you know, pretty much, you know, I started baking bread this past winter. I always promised myself, I, I teach myself how to make sourdough, mm. you know, get the starter going and all that. And this past winter, I finally decided to do it. And boy, is that coming in handy. So we're eating a lot of bread. Um, but, um, you know, we're, we're eating ba- it's basic stuff. We're not doing anything fancy. It's, you know, pasta with whatever vegetables we get our hands on, um, you know, roast chicken. Um, tonight, I think um, there's a good seafood store close by. So we're going to get that. I know we have some, my wife picked up some artichokes yesterday, pasta. But it's, it's you know, it's, it kind of keeps my mind off of what's going on out there. I feel I'm doing something. And But, uh, you know, the other thing we didn't touch on right now is, is, the need out there right now is is just getting greater and greater. And right now, I have kept my team home. Um, I didn't want to bring them into work. I especially didn't want to bring them into work for um, for commerce. But uh, we're we're getting pretty close to to getting our team in and cooking um, either for healthcare workers or uh, community centers or something because they're starting to get antsy. And I think now uh, we know a little bit more about how to keep people safe. And my concern is when people are, are on the public transportation coming in, right. uh, my concern is, is do we have a kitchen big enough to have you know, enough spacing? But I think we're getting to the point where we know how to feed people. And so I think it's time to start you know, marshalling my own troops to do that. Um, uh, so many restaurants are doing, are doing just that, pitching in. But um, I was concerned for my own health. And I found it very, very difficult if I wasn't going to come in, if I was going to try to hunker down, I, I couldn't ask my team to come in, but I think I'm getting to the point where it's time to do that. Mm. Um, but that said, you know, we're going to get through this. Hopefully uh, this is, you know, I, I, I just hope that this is that event that, that finally breaks the log, log jam with our politics and people find commonality. They find ways to get together. They, um, you know, find inspiration to, to mm. sort of, maybe envision something different and mm. that, that now we can finally do that. So. Mm. Well, you've always been a leader of character and integrity. I know last time I asked you if you'd run for office, maybe now the stakes are even higher and your number will be called more forcefully. Your hometown yeah. governor in Jersey has been doing a great job. Uh, yeah. there's, there's a congressman. Is, is Lee Zeitlin is your congressman, right? Zeldin, Zeldin, yeah. Zeldin, yeah. I mean, uh, that, that's, a guy, that's a guy who might be particularly vulnerable after all of this. So I'm not going to put you on the spot, but know that there is a campaign to draft Colicchio. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, if there was an army to join, if, if people say that an army moves on its belly, I'd want to be in the army of Colicchio, man. I mean, <laughs> and, and, you know, if, if you, you, there's another piece too that I want to thank you for. All these years of teaching America and teaching the world. Right? You've been teaching them about how to cook. You've been teaching them to love cooking. Now that's all you know, blossoming a, a million flowers all around the world. Man. All these people that are home with their kids, that are teaching the kids, we've been doing it. You know, Daddy's best cooking you know, effort is like SpaghettiOs and meatballs. I pull out shit that Ryder's never seen before. I'm like, yo, you've never had SpaghettiOs. Check this out, right? But, uh, but you've really been an inspiration to so many people and taught us so much. And I'm so grateful for all your leadership, all your tenacity, and for joining me again on the show, man. My best to your family and your whole team. And I'm looking forward to coming 
Back Thanks, Paul. Really soon, my friend. Hey, listen, when we get through this, um, cocktails at Temple Court. I'll see you there. Definitely. And I'm going to put a plug in. Temple Court's one of my favorite uh, bar restaurants in the whole city. And the, the, the architecture there is just unbelievable. I always envision it as a scene from Batman. There's this amazing atrium. Right, that looks right. like it's just ready for a, for a movie scene to be shot up. So maybe when this is all over, you can like rappel down from that's that, it. like Batman, land in the middle and start dolling out some drinks, man. That's 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 it. I'll, I'll do my I'll do my best. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had Jeffrey Wright on last last time, and he's in the new Batman. So yeah. maybe you guys can hook up. He's doing great work in Brooklyn. You're doing great work across. Yes, the he is. He's doing some great work out there. Awesome. He's, all right. He's awesome. Anyway. Well, you're an inspiring, uh, important, iconic American. Thank you for joining us again, my friend. All the best to you and yours. Folks can uh, check out SaveRestaurants.com, find Tom on Twitter, and and support uh, the army of Colicchio that's coming to a, uh, a restaurant near you. Support them. They're doing good work, and they're on the front lines of the fight. My thanks again, my friend. Thanks, Paul. That's the great Tom Colicchio people. My thanks to Tom for joining us, and you can take action. Go to SaveRestaurants.com. That's SaveRestaurants.com to join Tom Colicchio and his team in the fight. They're fighting for restaurants at the national level and for every restaurant you care about in your area, too. And if you like this dispatch, check out past episodes of Angry Americans and especially Episode 8 with Tom Colicchio. You can find it at AngryAmericans.us, in the Apple Podcast Store, on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. And go back and check out our last episode with Jeffrey Wright from Westworld that continues to get tremendous support and is really getting around. And coming up next Thursday afternoon, we'll have another extended episode of Angry Americans with another important, inspiring, and iconic guest. I will break down the news and I will tell you what's got me angry, what has others angry, and what should have everyone angry. The Dispatches are a production of Righteous Media. Remember, give us five stars, tell your friends, and subscribe to Angry Americans and everything we're doing at Righteous Media. You can also find video on our YouTube page. All our conversations for over a year of shows. Go to the Righteous Media YouTube page. Follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, and wherever you are, stay home, stay vigilant, and stay frosty. Stay frosty.